mighty most deaf. It's simple mathematics. Check it out. I'll revolve around science. What are we talking about here? Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Duke by the Numbers. I am your boy, Duke Better, <laughs> on Twitter, a.k.a. Russell. Why did I do that in the other direction? Why did I start with my alias and then go to my real name as if it's, that's... It's taking over your identity. That's oh, God. It, 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 this is also... I, there's a really good chance I was just telling our guest, and I'll introduce our guest in a minute. I was just telling our guest I'm a little under the weather today, so if I'm a bit loopy uh, on the old podcast, and that's why. Um, but... Tomorrow is the NBA draft. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday morning. It's going to drop Wednesday afternoon. I'm going to put it right out into the world uh, so that you all who have been asking a lot of questions, especially on Duke Twitter, about the NBA draft, about the viability of our prospects, about where they will go, about where we want them to go, <laughs> about any of those sorts of things. Why are some players valued ahead of the players that we love so much? Um, you know, so once again, I thought it'd be a good idea to get a, an impartial expert in the room. You know him from uh, Field of 68. You know him from the three-man weave. You know him from his guest appearances on this very podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Root is in the house. What's up, Jim? Oh, not much. I'm back. And clearly, there wasn't enough dissenting opinion of my previous appearances that you're, you're bringing me back, but you know, maybe maybe this is the time that I that I anger the that you really so piss people that, off. Yeah, exactly. I think people enjoy it. At least I do. I mean, like because it's it's so hard in the Duke bubble. Uh, you know, everyone thinks Paolo should be number one. Everyone thinks AJ should be higher than he's projected, and everyone thinks that uh, all five guys should be first rounders. And you know, when you really develop, as I'm sure you know, with you know, guys from your teams, uh, although I know like Wisconsin isn't always known for the most sterling NBA uh, prospect reputation nor, nor necessarily, Mizzou. nor is Mizzou, nor is Mizzou. Uh, you know, you, you develop great affection for a lot of these guys. And so it's hard to put on sort of your objective pants and go, oh, you know, this is this is this, this is that. But because you are uh, somebody who, you know, places some bets and writes about betting and you know, has to remain impartial in order to make money uh, on said bets. Uh, you're just the perfect person to talk to, not to mention the fact that, uh, as we have discussed on this podcast before, you are not a Duke guy. Um, it's true. It's true. One, has one, neutered my fandom. I yeah. <laughs> one might describe you as the opposite of a Duke guy, uh, one might say. Yeah, a begrudging Duke better. You're, you oh. are Duke better. I'm Duke better. Nice. Ooh, yeah. I like that. I like that. Well, that way when Duke wins, uh, at least you also win money, you know, so then it's a nice, it's like whenever I think Duke is going to lose, how I bet on Duke to lose. So I win money to uh, the old, the old misery hedge, yep. right? The, the emotional, hedge. emotional hedge. Yep. Yes. Exactly. I love the emotional hedge. Um, So Jim, I want to just kind of get started with a question that somebody asked me the other day and I answered it on Twitter, but I figured I'd get you talking about it as well. Especially this year, it feels like there is a good amount of disparity uh, between mock drafts uh, that are available online. I, I pulled up, you know, Gavoni's and uh, Woo's O'Connor's and then uh, your boy Vicini, uh, who I loved that episode, by the way, great episode. 
for those of you who uh, listened to the three man weave, he was on with the athletics, uh, Sam Bassini, uh, really good interview, strongly recommended. So I pulled them up and there are some pretty glaring differences, especially once you get past, you know, like 18, 19, you'll see guys who are on some draft boards at 20 who are in the forties and others and uh, so on and so forth. So uh, why is there such disparity between mock drafts uh, online and is this draft uh, different than others in that respect? I don't, I don't know how different it is. I guess I haven't compared it. I mean, there probably is some difference between the guys that are hyper sourced and the guys that aren't. Some of them may have agendas uh, or like, you know, they're, they're more in in touch with one agency. And so those guys maybe get a little bit boosted up their board. So I'm sure there's a little bit of that uh, shenanigans going on behind the scenes. And then really like, once you're past that kind of late lottery range, there's a lot of similarity to prospects and becomes like kind of a Rorschach test beauties in the eye of the beholder. What do you like about this guy versus not like about the other guy? And you, you talk to the next guy and they can flip them and, and see the two prospects a completely different way. Um, so it's like kind of a flat curve once you get past that, that late lottery range. And I think that leads to uh, some, some guessing games in the back end of the first round and could potentially lead to, uh, wild picks and surprising picks come tomorrow night. Yeah. I, I think when looking at the draft boards, the, the like 17 to 18 at the top tend to be the same, you know, not, not in the same order, but they tend to be the same players, but then you'll get like, you know, uh, Gavoni has Walker Kessler at 19 uh, down at 25 at the athletic with Vicini. Uh, Gavoni has Wendell Moore at 23, who we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, Vicini has him all the way at 37. And again, it's worth noting before people like tweet angrily at I, there's, there's one shout out to the like Paolo number one fan on Twitter or whatever the person's name is. Anytime anyone suggests that Paolo is not the number one, uh, there are some lively replies, uh, from said account. So, I mean, there, there are some passionate folks out there. Um, and Vicini and Gavoni's mocks uh, are what they think will happen, or at least the mocks that I pulled from. Yep. So not not their personal take. So uh, Wendell Moore, number one fan, can leave uh, poor Sam Vicini alone. Um, yeah, I, and to your point about beauty is in the eye of the beholder, a lot of it's going to then depend on team need, too. You've got these imperfect prospects. You've got team need. Uh, and I do feel like this draft, once you get into the second round in particular, there's a shortage of those like really good college players that would make for good second round guys. There's a lot of potential guys. Um, You know, we'll talk about some of those second rounders in a bit, but there, there are way fewer of those very polished, uh, you know, Andrew Nemhard, Christian Brown types who this year it looks like will be more like late first, early second. Uh, as you go down, you see a lot more stash kind of dudes. So I think that also is going to make a lot of disparity between mocks, uh, both informed and uninformed, <laughs> where, yeah, just some guy's going to love some Euro guy and put him in the 30s. Others are going to have him undrafted. You know, you never know. And there's a lot of teams that have multiple picks, which usually yes. leads to like the stash type stuff where you're like, I don't need, if you're Oklahoma city, you don't need four rookies. You've already got no. such a young team. So maybe they take more of the foreign guys or you get a lot of traded picks and then that stuff's hard to predict. So yeah, it's, yeah, it could be all over the map. And this year in particular, it does seem like from 43 to 58 in the draft, maybe even earlier than that, there are a lot of guys that are pretty clearly just uh, stashes that are being projected. So I think a lot of the people making these mocks do think that there are not a lot of teams picking in the second that are, 
super stoked on keeping them on roster. Um, I want to go ahead and start talking about Duke a little bit, um, you know, get a little intro to where some of these people have them for the people who have not been looking at mock drafts. Paolo Bancaro is projected at third everywhere. Uh, so that one seems right around there. AJ Griffin, uh, Gavoni has him at 11 to the Knicks. Uh, so does Vicini. I think Wu at Sports Illustrated and O'Connor at the Ringer both have him at 13 to the Hornets. Uh, Mark Williams, uh, I see Gavoni has 15 to the Hornets. Uh, Ringer, I think, also has 15 to the Hornets. Pacini's uh, got him 18 to the Bulls, I believe. Which is an interesting one. And then uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, Wu also has Mark 15 uh, to the Hornets. Wendell is the one that's all over the map. You've got Wendell 23 at ESPN. Uh, Ringer clearly values him as a second rounder. They don't do a second round mock. Uh, Athletic has him 37. Sports Illustrated has him 19. Uh, so that is really all over the map. And then uh, Keel's projected second round everywhere, 32nd on ESPN, uh, 35th on the Athletic, 42nd uh, at Sports Illustrated. Uh do we want to do we want to root our discussion in Gavoni's mock from ESPN or do we want to give uh, Vicini's uh, at the athletic a little love for the discussion? Because I, I figured instead of trying to bounce back and forth between them, just like picking one, sticking with it. I'm voting Sam V. I'm All right, Sam. Sam V. This will be good because I, I listen to Sam, like three man weave and game theory podcast are the two basketball podcasts I listen to the second they drop. So it's it's sometimes hard for me to. Uh, because I'm getting so much of my info from Sam, it's hard to sometimes divorce myself from some of those takes, uh, especially since I just read his like sort of draft Bible that he put out, which was very, very compelling to read. Uh, all all 90,000 words of it. I yeah. did not read all 90,000. <laughs> I'm, I'm still a little behind on it, but I, I, I skipped to the guys I like. Um, okay. So at the athletic uh, again, the Duke players, Paolo at three, AJ 11, Mark 18 keels 35 more 37 what duke prospect do you think is let's start with something positive who, who do we think is undervalued in this mock it's got to be more right like he's that's about the lowest you'll find him um he seems like a guy that should succeed in the modern nba he got better in college like you can clearly pick out some of the things that he wasn't as strong at and he improved namely the jumper which I remember when he was freshman to sophomore uh, at three. Now we wrote about how he just like is never going to be a shooter, not a shooter. And people got mad at us and he finally found it as a junior. So he yeah. didn't have it as a sophomore, but last year, I mean, he knocked down, especially catch and shoot stuff. He, he yes. was really solid with, um, but yeah, I, I'm surprised to see him that far down the list, that far down into the second round when he's a guy that can help right away and also has the high high school pedigree that maybe there is some upside as well. Uh, even for a guy that played three years of college. Uh, and then I also like, I, I will agree with Mr. Paolo Bancaro, number one on Twitter. I, I think he should be the number one pick. Oh, um, there we is, go. Making that some is not a, Yeah. Not a, not a, like a pandering take to, to the Duke fans. I just, I just think he's the best player and has plenty of upside. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the, uh, the consensus among the NBA GMs at least. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk more about because uh, there are a lot of uh, Duke fans in particular. Like, why are these other guys above him? We'll talk more about that in a bit. I, if if more was uh, where the other people have him, like uh, late first, uh, so you'd say Paolo is the most uh, undervalued beyond beyond that. 
Yeah, I, Williams and Keels, they, they feel like they're in fine spots. Uh, but, and, and, you know, like you're kind of picking nits in the top three. Like, sure. It's a clear top three. It's not like people are saying he's way worse than Smith or Holmgren. Right. Uh, but I would have him at the top of that group. I, I just think there's some things he does that the other guys can't. And that's kind of what you're looking for in a high lottery pick is a guy like that can initiate and be the primary creator, which that's not Chet's game. That's not Jabari Smith's game. I would prefer to chase that with, with Paolo than, than the other two guys. Yeah. I would say in Sam's in particular with having market 18, that definitely feels low to me. Uh, I think this is maybe my sort of hot Homer ish take. I think Mark Williams being above Jalen Duran is not a crazy take. I like, obviously Duran's got that, that freak body. <laughs> like he's very strong, very explosive, but you know, Mark is longer. Uh, I thought Mark uh, acquitted himself better uh, defending the perimeter uh, than Duran did. Not that either of them should be switching or anything, but if, Either of them got caught on switches. I think Mark will acquit himself a little better, which makes him maybe a little more valuable in a playoff situation. Uh, I think that Mark is a better shooter, not that Mark should be shooting the ball, but especially as a, as a free throw threat. I mean, I think he shot like 10% ish better from the free throw line than Duran did. Uh, he also, somebody asked this question on uh, Twitter and then Kevin O'Connor actually just wrote about Mark Williams and answered it. Uh, they asked, like, how many jumpers did Mark make last year? Because it did feel like, as a Duke fan, when he would take them very sparingly, he would make them. And O'Connor cited in his recent article that he took nine uh, jump shots last year and made five of them. Uh, so, again, that's a very small sample, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I'm taking zero away from that, to well, be clear. <laughs> yeah, and, that's clear. and, again, I don't think that either of these dudes should be anything other than rim runners at the NBA level on offense. But I do think that that suggests at least that Mark has a, like, 75% plus free throw percentage possibility, whereas I, I don't know that I buy that with Duran. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I think that it's, uh, I'm nitpicking, I guess, but like when they're so close and I think that Mark is a little more switchable, a little more friendly at the free throw line, um, also seemed like he played more consistently hard last year than Duran did. Now, maybe you could chalk that up to Memphis, you know, and, and some oh, of yeah. what was I got a rebuttal there. coming. I got a rebuttal. Okay, coming. good. <laughs> I love it. I love it when we rebut. I like this, but so that's. I realize that that's not a popular take and certainly on a Duke podcast, it's going to feel very Homerish. but like, I tell me why I'm wrong. Duren is a full two years younger. Like he was a high schooler this year. He, he reclassed up a year and you know how yeah. poorly that normally goes. Yeah. Uh, it's usually a little better for, for high profile big men, AKA Marvin Bagley. But uh, I just think that matters a lot. Like as a freshman, when, so Mark Williams, freshman, still a year older than Duren was this year. He shot 54% from the free throw line. Yeah. It, it took him about half the year to even get on the floor. And Duran, a whole year younger, playing for kind of an idiot system at Memphis, like pretty much succeeded. Uh, you know, it, it still took him a little bit to get fully ingrained. And that whole team had issues of its own. And I think Motor has been a minor critique of Duran's for a while. Yeah. I don't think that was just a Memphis thing. Uh, but you're, you know, is there a chance? And if we were looking at Duran in college at the same age that Mark Williams is right now, I have a feeling that in two years, Duran would dominate maybe more than Mark Williams did this year. So I kind of get the age gamble. 
Uh, I think the shooting at least has a chance to, to get up to where uh, Mark Williams was from the free throw line. And yeah, I mean, the, the athletic tools are incredibly projectable. So I, yeah. I would have Duran fairly comfortably ahead, but you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to yeah. just completely stir the pot here. No counter counter to the counterpoint. <laughs> it, I do think, and this is obviously a huge sort of greater draft philosophy question. I, if you, so you have, you have Dern comfortably ahead because of that age disparity. And I think that's completely fair, especially when Dern is again, a huge athletic freak. There's, you know, no question in my mind about that. I feel like we've seen, especially when it pertains to big men, a decent like range of outcomes, especially against the really young guys who go straight into the pros. There were a lot of guys this year, not many uh, lottery picks, uh, that is to say, but like raw young guys who go in and maybe, maybe their ceiling just gets a little capped because they are, they're getting thrown into a fire really, really early. I, I was really high on Dern coming into school. So like, this also is a weird argument for me to be making. Um, but I just feel like there's something to be said for having a guy that like, I, I think Mark would be better next year on an NBA team than Duran would be. Like, is that, is that, is that a that. fair take? I think I would yeah. agree with that. So I think there's no question that the upside, especially with the age is probably higher with Duran when given the body and stuff, but like, Man, if you've got but a that's guy, what you, all, that's what you're drafting for in the lottery. That's that's, that's why I, I think some, Williams is a better pick for someone at yeah, yeah, 16. Yeah. But if you're picking 10, I want I want yeah, the swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess that's why. I mean, there have been rumors of him at, at nine to the Spurs, and certainly the Spurs just like need kind of a star level guy. But like, I, I also think that then, and Sam wrote about this a little bit when it comes to guys like Duran or Williams. There's a question of usability in the playoffs. Like the, they feel like very regular season players because down the stretch in a big game against the Warriors or against Celtics or a switchable team, I, I, these guys I don't think can play. Like that's why they're a little yeah. bit more devalued. I would say like, yeah. I mean, in, in 2002, they're probably going picks one two. Oh, oh totally <laughs> like, they're going very high yeah yeah yeah. so yeah now that's kind of depressing both of their values so you need two teams that are willing to take a guy that may not yeah. have a ton of playoff viability and i mean it only takes one to, to value mark williams ahead of Durant, that's true but i still think by and large people will have the younger guy ahead and that that's probably and and, 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 and they do i mean <laughs> they definitely yeah. do i but i think where i was building to is picking a guy like Duran at nine because of uh, considerable upside when his considerable upside probably does not include playing down the stretch in a playoff game. Do you want to be taking a guy like that in the top 10 or is he more of a guy that then falls into that 13, 15 range where then you are having more teams that probably are at least cuspy of playoffs. You know what I it's, mean? It's hard to say. Cause I mean, like Robert Williams might've been the Celtics best player in the finals this year. I think, I think he might be better than either of these guys on defense though i don't know that he was coming out of college you know so like, yeah there was there was definitely like a i don't know if motor issues fair there was a there, there were issues with williams yeah that mega bouncy and, like the athletic yeah. tools were there but yeah there, there were concerns sure um, yeah but i, I, I mean, just that's like fair and like the bucks won big with brooke lopez playing a lot of drop like i think they're well he can he can shoot and that that changes that's things, true certainly uh well the shooting 
well, 34%. <laughs> it's not elite, but yeah, like I, I think respected centers yeah. don't matter. Maybe has been almost overplayed. And I agree I with that. They really do matter. And, and especially from getting up from like crappy to respectable, having a good center is, is useful, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would take both of them in that range and feel, feel good about it, but sure, yeah. maybe they're not like the best player in the finals. Yeah. I tend to agree with all that. All right. Duke prospect overvalued in the mocks. I don't know if anybody's super overvalued. Uh, so again, but we're looking at, we're looking like, at Paolo three Griffin, 11 Williams, 18 Keels, 35 more 37. Yeah. I can't really call any of them overvalued. That's, that's some of the lower ranges you'll find these Duke guys yeah. at. I mean, Keels highly regarded prospect coming in has some clear flaws. So I think that's kind of an appropriate range for him. You're getting a young guard with, some projectable school or skills that showed a ton of flashes. Like I think I said on, on decent last night, if he had sat out the rest of the season after the champions classic, he'd be <laughs> yeah, a lottery sure. pick. So yeah, um, that's, that's the, you know, the, the high, <laughs> the high end game that you've seen from him that can be tantalizing. So I won't call him overvalued in this, in this mock. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree that they're not, I mean, I think if you're going to pick one of the guys, it's probably gotta be him. Uh, just in the sense that I think that Paolo and AJ have clear upside. And so they're in the ranges. They belong Mark clear value to how he plays right away. I think he's in the right range. And then, you know, Wendell in the second round uh, would be a great get if he's available in the second round, because again, really translatable right away. And Keels is just more raw than these other guys. He doesn't shoot very well right now he's not a freak athlete he's very strong uh, he's got good positional size but you know he's not going to like wow on that front defensively when motivated on ball he played very well but certainly he uh there were games where he'd get blown by where he'd get lost um so it, it just sort of raises the question like what's what's the thing that he does great on an nba floor today and I don't know what the answer to that is. The tools are all there. They're just not ready. Yeah, that's I, I would think it would have been like downhill driving because of the frame. But, but then his, that's going to be his, tough in the NBA due to his, the lack yeah. of athleticism, not lack right. of athleticism, but relative to NBA players. Right. The first step isn't like a blow by. Type yes. thing. And he didn't finish that well in college at the rim. He was sub 60 yeah. percent for a guy that like can separate the way he can with his shoulders. You'd think maybe it would have been a little better. So, yeah, yeah. like. That's that's not a immediately mega useful guy, but you have physical tools and pedigree that you could bet on yeah. there in the second round. And at the beginning of the second, too, there's going to be a lot of those uh, teams that are just still kind of in rebuild mode looking for guys. I, I, I don't know how much I'd have him over. I mean, like Vicini has him over guys like Peyton Watson or, you know, uh, like he obviously uh, I, I think Vicini's lower on J.D. Davis than the most. Um, you know, Minot is below him. I mean, I think there are a lot of upside guys in that range that, you know, maybe have a bit more of like the freak body or like the positional stuff that, that teams look for that. I feel like, I, I don't know. I've, I, I think early second is fair, but I mean, I think if you're looking at out of the five guys, you have to probably go with him which is yeah depressing. one guy behind ryan rollins i think has, like has that first step that we were talking about sure Toledo. so i if he's behind keels I'd, I'd maybe lean towards rollins there 
Yeah. Um, next question, which prospect out of these five for Duke do you think could take a surprising tumble on draft night? Um, is, is Mark Williams going all the way to 18 a tumble? Does that count? I, I think it's pretty close. <laughs> I, I, I think that's about right. Um, yeah, I, I actually, uh, because of Asini's mock, and this is how much these guys can move the betting market, uh, I took uh, Mark Williams to Chicago 25 to 1. Oh, and wow. I think it's like 8 to 1 now because he released his mock, and yeah. people are like, oh, wow, that, is that a possibility? We should, we should cover yeah, a bunch yeah, of yeah. that. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wouldn't really call that a tumble. Like, you're not even into the 20s for him, but. And he'd be going to a good, t- I mean, like, we'll talk about fit in a second, but yeah, that, it makes sense. Um, I, I guess I could see Keels tumbling in a sense that yeah, second round teams, they're looking for either more of the established role player like Malcolm Brogdon or the stash guys from abroad that aren't going to take up a roster spot yet. And so almost through no fault of his own, he could tumble there. Yeah, we've seen Duke fans are very well acquainted with the uh, waiting on draft night for your guy who you love very much to be picked. Um, those tumbles are very real. Um, and, you know, you hear people get like excited. But once you pass, once you pass 30, uh, and I think Vicini just talked about this on his podcast last night. Once you get past 30, all bets are off. Like you, you could go 33, 34 but like the chances that you go undrafted are definitely not zero. There are certainly chances that a lot of these guys, once you get into the second round are, are trying very specifically to find uh, teams that will fit. So, you know, then the tumble isn't necessarily a lack of interest, but is rather sort of a, a a targeted goal uh, negotiated by the agent and the player when the program. Um, But yeah, but we've also just seen like guys like Trayvon Duvall just go you know yeah, um, yeah. We've, we've we've seen that maybe happen. rightfully so in that case <laughs> maybe um and so i i hope that keels doesn't like if if we get past like 48 and keels is still on the board i'm going to start to get really scared um mark is certainly a sleeper for the reasons i mentioned earlier just if teams don't need a big and especially once you get past like chicago like how many of those teams in the 20 to 30 range who are looking to be big playoff contenders are are looking for true big men. It's hard to say. Yeah. Look uh, what happened to quarterbacks in the NFL draft. Like it's just a collective devaluation or, or lack of interest in the position. Yeah. Could, could move him and Duran and Christian Coloco. Like all those guys fall right. farther than you. Expect. And it'll, and it'll all depend on draft night. Like if Duran goes ninth, then all of a sudden Mark is going 13th, maybe higher uh, then other big men get to go higher as well. But then if Duran slips to like 13th, even 15th, then Mark goes more like 18th. And then, and then the whole thing starts to fall apart. Yep. Uh, outside chance that if AJ Griffin's people are very tight with his medical records, that's the other one that I get a little concerned about. Ooh, that's a good point. I like kind of, like, we hadn't really touched on him much. I kind of half yeah. forgot that he's one, another one of these Duke guys in here, but yeah, like you, you have two different, yeah catastrophic but like serious knee injuries in high school that's that's a concern and yeah the defense wasn't very good and if people kind of associate that with like oh he's lost some explosion he might never get it back and there is more injury risk then yeah that that could be a a serious worry yeah i definitely think for those teams you know in that 11 to 13 range you've got to think that they want to look at the 
at the records and, and make an assessment. And if, and if he, if he doesn't go to a place like Charlotte that could really use him, then yeah, I, I don't know. Then it, then it starts to get interesting at, at bare minimum, worst case scenario. He's clearly a shooter at the next level. Like I, I think that most people agree with that. So I do think that he's not somebody who would like tumble out of the first round or even like top, you know, 25, 23, I bet he'd still go in there, but yeah, for a guy who at times this season looked like sort of a top five, top eight sort of dude. Um, yeah, if they're tight with the medicals that that might tumble. Yeah. Which of these prospects is most likely to go higher than people expect? <laughs> um, My dog is I, very interested. You I answer actually, the question I, while I answer the door. You that's talk. That's fair. We'll do. Uh, I'll say it's I'll say it's Griffin. To be quite honest, like I, I think the shooting is real for him and. Uh, <laughs> There is there was pedigree higher than where he's at right now, and so if people are okay with the medicals, and they do think that this was a recovery year, uh, coming back from having two torn ACLs, that they could get excited about him up in like the fifth or sixth range. I think that's where Matherin is projected to go. But if if those teams are like, well, we're, we feel good about Griffin's medicals and the fact that he can kind of come around and regain the explosiveness that he had, then I could see him actually going higher than where he's at and the difference between 11th and sixth is massive. So I'll, I'll say Griffin. Huge. Yeah. Thank you for specifying at the end, even though I, I caught the end of that. Yeah. yeah I, I, hopefully everybody catches my, my answer and not just the woofing. Sorry about that. Dawn, uh, Dawn was, uh, was letting the delivery man know who runs this block. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. If the medical looks good, We'll talk about sort of players with upside in the draft in a minute, but uh, AJ, I think, is one of them if you make that exact argument that you made. Uh, I also think that for reasons we already talked about, Wendell Moore, especially in those like early 20s, uh, I think he's a guy that could probably play a bench role right away. Um, and so a team just sort of falling in love with the sort of plug and play ability is, is certainly not impossible. And then because I haven't seen Mark higher than anywhere, like any higher than 13th to Charlotte, I do think there's a world in which he would go to like a New York uh, or, you know, <laughs> again, that Jalen Duran uh, angle, if he gets drafted earlier than people expect that I think Mark gets drafted earlier than people expect. Yeah. That's, I, I, if Charlotte keeps both picks, one of those guys is going 13 or 15. Like they're taking yeah. one of those two, I think. I, but there's, there's a non, not a huge chance. I feel like there's a non-zero chance that neither of them is there. I think that if, if San Antonio picks him at nine, I think there's a world in which like at a 11 Mark could go to New York, uh, depending then, yeah, on what they want to do with Mitchell off. Robinson. Exactly. They'd have to get him going somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are people who could just sort of use talent. And if you think that he's got some mobility on the outside, uh, you know, enough to be playable in the playoffs than, than maybe a team likes him. I, I'm assuming you would rank the Duke prospects, Paolo, AJ, Mark, Moore, Keels. Yes. Yes, I would. Agreed. Yeah. I think that that is fair. Um, best. This is, this is a question. I think somebody asked, um, I'll have to look up and see who asked some of these questions. What is the best realistic destination for some of these Duke prospects? Oof, man, that might be over my head a little bit. Might be over your I, head. I know the NBA, but not maybe well enough to be like, oh, this guy fits perfectly into the scheme that 
they're wanting to run. So I, I, I apologize. I will probably, uh, <laughs> you'll pass on this one. Accuse myself from that. one. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask one that you probably will feel uh, a little more, uh, inclined to answer, uh, at 24, your Milwaukee bucks have a pick. Um, uh, let's, let's assume that obviously Paolo and AJ would be completely off the board here. I mean, like which, which non Paolo Duke player would, would you want on your team out of, out of that bunch? I would be very content with Mark Williams or uh, Wendell Moore. I, I think I, I don't think Williams gets there, but I think no. he would fit well. This is a team I do know the scheme very well. Uh, yeah, they would play some great drop coverage with him, let him roam the lane. Just in worst case, he has to come up to the level of the screen and kind of play back with the guy, which I think that's what he's mobile enough to do, not not switch. Yeah, uh, but I, I think he could fit in really well there. Learn from Brook Lopez again. Doesn't have the shooting, but. I still think you can find a way to get one non-shooter on the floor with Giannis. You have to make sure the guards could all shoot. Uh, but then more, if the jumper's real and the open shots you get with Giannis are usually very open, as Grayson Allen learned this year. Um, so he'd have time to shoot kind of that more set shot that he's got. And he's, he's a versatile enough defender that I think he could hold up in, in some of the more, uh, maybe not the highest, highest levels of playoff series, but especially initially, I think he can be a, an adequate and, and helpful defender. So I would like both of those guys yeah. there at 24. Uh, I'll run down mine real quick. Paolo, I, I kind of do just selfishly want him to go to Houston. I think him and Jalen Green playing together would be just an incredible one-two punch of guys who can score at will, uh, especially with Jalen Green, you know, having the gravity on the floor that he has on offense. And then Paolo is just like, uh, how do you guard him if you're accounting for this other, you know, dynamo scorer? You, you can't switch. Uh, like, I, I don't really know what you do if they're playing a one, two game together. Um, obviously defensively, that team might not be great, but I, I, I just love the possibilities that that would provide. And they're both so young, uh, AJ, you know, in that range, I think new Orleans would be a reach. They could use the shooting. Certainly. Uh, I always wish the Spurs would take a Duke player. <laughs> like when they, when he, they picked Trey Jones, I was overjoyed. Um, I don't think that's happening here. I, I definitely do not want the Wizards or the Knicks. I have no faith in either of those organizations. So much of my answer would just be, what organizations do you have faith in to develop players and yes. put them in positions to win? That would um, probably have yeah. been how I'd answer it. Be like, just to avoid yes. the teams. Not that, the Wizards, yeah. not the Knicks, not the Kings, for the love of God, not the Kings. Um, if if I actually kind of have a decent amount of faith in Oklahoma City, I do like what they're doing um, in terms of their complete and total reboot. So because AJ's got some upside and they need shooting, maybe that's not a bad match. I think maybe best case scenario, if he's if he falls there, Cleveland Cavaliers, they could definitely use the shooting. I mean, um, wing, yeah, wing is what they're like. They've got. Uh, they need awesome it badly. big and Mobley. They've got Garland and, and maybe Sexton back, but yeah. And he'd have, so, he'd have so much time to shoot so much space to shoot. Um, plus you have the defenders inside. So Griffin's current kind of liability on defense is not an issue. Mark. I think, I think Charlotte is the easy answer there, especially if Mike D'Antoni goes there and they're running nonstop and uh, LaMelo ball is, uh, you know, doing his thing, just throwing lobs nonstop. I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, Wendell, any contender in that 22 to 30 range, the Bucks certainly up there, the Grizz, the Heat, the Warriors, the Nuggets. I'd love all of that. And then Trevor, you know, looking at the beginning of the second, again, just somewhere I trust player development, like Toronto at 33, I'd be very happy with. The Spurs at 38, I'd be very happy with. Oklahoma City would certainly take their time with him at 34. 
And then, you know, if he slipped, I kind of sneaky like Atlanta at 44. Uh, I think he'd be in terms of being sort of complementary to their star, you know, he's got good size and strength, which Trey does not. He has the potential to be a good defender. Trey does not. He's not a very consistent shooter. Trey very much is, uh, you know, I think that in terms of just sort of being a secondary guy, having secondary guy upside and being a role player at first, that'd be a really nice fit. Um, let's talk overall draft. We've talked enough about the Duke guys, I think. Um, why is Jabari Smith over Paolo on these mocks, Jim Root? I guess it's defensive potential, and I don't know if there's some sense that Paolo would be more of a, a floor raiser than – like, can he really be the best guy on a title team? So if he can't, then let's go with the best second banana on a title team, which that I could see Jabari Smith being. If you've got a great perimeter piece to pair him with that can do a little more of the creation, which is really where he falls shortest. He's a fantastic defender. He's an incredible shooter for his size. Like, and he can shoot over anybody at any time. So I, I guess I buy a lot of that, but Again, I, I would circle back to Paolo myself, yeah. but I, I, I sort of see it. And it's like, I don't think Paolo's a tier above them by any means. He's just the guy I would like the best of of uh, him, Jabari, or Chet. Yeah, and, and you know, to your point about age earlier, Jabari is younger than both Chet and Paolo. Uh, for Jabari to be a, the shooter he is at the size he is and the defender he is at the age he is, uh, you know, if you say he's a better shooter and he's a better defender, uh, and he's younger, <laughs> then that's that's a lot. I mean, uh, I definitely understand the appeal. Like you said, I don't know that he screams, I'm the guy. But, you know, I think maybe it was Sam. I don't remember who brought up that he could be like a 6'10 Chris Middleton type, you know, on your team. You know, that's also a 6'10 Chris Middleton is a perennial all-star every year. Yeah, also, yeah, yeah, is an unbelievable basketball player. So, yeah, I, I've i seen a lot of people, uh, Duke Twitter, which you're blissfully not really uh, plugged into that much. There's definitely been a lot of uh, any time – a talking head on ESPN compares Jabari or Chet to somebody very uh, renowned. They're just like, that's bullshit, right? Like that's the Duke Twitter response. So, I mean, obviously people have brought up, it might've been Woj who said that Jabari has a little bit of KD in him, um, which yeah, K- like KD creates yeah. his own shots. Jabari doesn't. Yeah. That's, that's a big, big difference. I, I always like when talking about the draft, and maybe we did this when we when we did talked about drafts on different podcasts. I like referring to players as like Diet Coke this or like Coke Zero this or like worst case scenario Kirkland brand this. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I can see when somebody says a little bit of KD that they're just talking about he's a 6'10 guy who's a deadly shooter who can play on the other end. So the, the release is so far up. The release is very high. It's basically unblockable. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think he's, you know, either bigger Chris Middleton or, you know, Kirkland brand, Kevin Durant, I, I, I wouldn't get completely out of sorts about it. But to your point, I do think that Paolo does feel more like the guy who can be the guy on the team than Jabari does. And so, yeah, it creates an interesting draft uh philosophy dilemma there so yeah, I mean, the other thing too like we talked about viability in the playoffs 
you could maybe play Paolo off the court with defense. Yes. And Jabari Smith could maybe play in a playoff series right now because he's yes. useful as a floor spacer and an excellent defender. Yeah, I completely agree. Why is Chet above Paolo? I would guess mostly because of team fit, like Oklahoma City, that the, there's a, so much talk about how they want to play five out, and he brings a better shooting stroke than Paolo does. Uh, they've really got more of their primary creator. Like I think that's the goal is that Shy Gilgis Alexander is that guy for them. And then Chet is the space the floor on offense, but also protect the rim on defense, which is a really, really rare combo to find. And he's not super broad shouldered. So projecting yeah. him to fill out the frame is, is maybe a little dicey, but uh, I, I think he is going to be impactful in those two ways. And if he does add a little more and he's got some ball handling juice to him, the grab and go really the does. defensive glasses. He really always does a lot of fun. Yeah. So I, th- there's maybe a, a very enticing high ceiling that, I think Sam Presti is always very uh, interested in. Very much so with Poku and some of the others. Yeah, Jay Billis referred to Chet as baby Giannis the other day. Yeah, I didn't like that. Which Duke Twitter did not like either. Um, I agree with you, Duke Twitter. That is yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think that once again, Jay's comment is just in, I think I think he's trying to get across the point that this dude is a freak. You know, in the sense that for a guy his size, he handles the ball better than most anyone his size. He passes really well. He is probably the best weak side shot blocker I've seen in college or something like that. I mean, I, again, don't really think he's switchable. I I think some people that's what that's where people lose me when they say he's switchable. I, I am not there. Um, no, I, he, he yeah. moves. It's always been a little like he, he moves a little slow to me. Like he, he takes a little to get his joints going and maybe that's yeah. youth, something that he'll age out of. Sure. But I've always compared it to like in, in Marvel, when Ant-Man gets big, he moves, he moves a little more slowly. slowly. And and I think that he has a little bit of that issue. And there were times in the, in the tournament where we saw him get passed by guys, you know, it's not, he's, he's far from a liability, uh, on the outside, especially again, compared to guys, his size, I trust him on the perimeter more than Duran, maybe more than Mark, maybe. Um, but you know, he is very mobile, but not that mobile. Uh, and, and again, the three point shooting, you know, we talked about with Duran and Williams, you know, that they have their role. It's to be the Clint Capella, the Deandre Jordan, like that sort of guy. Chet definitely opens up a lot more doors and what you could do, offensively you can't play a guard on him on defense and if you try to play a big man on him on defense he's just going to pull you outside exposing the rest of your defense and Chet's a smart enough player that he knows how to exploit and knows how to just play a role he doesn't need to be the star I think to the point you made about Jabari again Chet doesn't scream to me a guy who's the number one option on a team um, but he does seem like the sort of dude that can really open doors to what your team can become right like can be the ultimate number two and, yeah, you know, like maybe you don't not amped about drafting that two overall, but yeah, I think that's kind of where we're at here. I I I feel like a comparison of like his upside being like better Porzingis, but maybe, yeah. but but Porzingis also scored a lot of points per game in a way that we haven't totally seen from Chet at a higher level. But I mean, the the potential is there in a best case scenario. But then the downside, I think, obviously, is lower than the rest of the than Jabari or. Paolo just because 
you know, if, if he can't, if he can't hold his ground, then that's going to create some issues, I guess. Yep. Um, so you would rank, how would you rank the top three? You said you would have Paolo one. Would you then do Jabari two, Chet three? I'd have Chet two, I think. Chet two. Jabari three. Yeah. I just, I think Chet has more shot creation upside than Jabari does. Like the, Mm. the ball handling he has, like even when, they would go like ISO switch attack switches stuff with Jabari Smith. It would just be like a 17 foot fadeaway over a sure. smaller defender. And like, he can make that. Yeah. But you'd like to be able to get some easier stuff against weaker SEC defenders. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think to the people on Duke Twitter don't know why Paolo might not be number one. I, Jim alluded to it earlier. The, the defense is potentially a concern um, because Paolo is just not like quite the athlete that would it be fair to say the other two guys in the top three are? Yeah, probably. I mean, he's not like hyper explosive. He's the strongest of the three. He's got like the most ready body today of the three. And I, and he's definitely the best shot creator of the three. That's easy. I, and the best passer of the three also, um, probably the best ball handler of the three would be my guess. Um, it just depends on your team philosophy. If you need a guy who's a two-way guy, then he's not your guy probably. But if you're a team that just like you need offense, you need a star on offense, like Paolo, I do think in this draft is the best offensive player. Um, so then, yeah, it, it all comes down to team philosophy basically. Yep, agreed. Who, okay, so four through six, I wanted to ask two different situations because I figured this would be uh, an easy way to get some of your feel on some of these other guys who, if your team was firmly in like a reboot, right? Like you, you have sold off your, you're starting over, right? And you have a pick. If you have picks four five and six, who are your next three prospects? If you are hardcore reboot, you're not looking to win for a few years. Who would like the highest upside next three guys? I think Ivy's definitely four for me. Uh, I, I think like he's got the oh I lost you for a second here, Jim. It translated into being a star. Um, and then he was in a weird system too at Purdue, which I think was not helpful. Like sometimes he had the ball, sometimes he didn't. There's always a plotting center in the way in, in, in the lane. So he could really benefit from NBA spacing. Let's see to go for the other two as like a true potential star. That's, that is a challenge. I'm not really sure. There's a lot of guys that have that kind of upside. Um, I actually like probably Johnny Davis more than others. Not a Wisconsin bias thing. I just think his context sucked at Wisconsin. Not a lot of shooting around him forced to take some really bad shots against defenses are packed in the paint. Um, There's, there's probably reasons this is stupid, but I, I could see a little bit where he becomes Devin Booker-ish of just a true mid-range assassin uh, with a little more space around him. He probably doesn't quite have the shot creation chops that Booker does and didn't get to show at Kentucky, but uh, Davis is a better defender. He's an awesome defender already. Um, so Davis may be in there. And then I guess I would go Keegan Murray. Uh, still fairly young for a, a sophomore and phenomenal offensive tools. There's a couple other guys that I think are in the mix there that I'm not as not as like super high on, but Murray, I guess, I guess has two way potential with size. And, and I think the offensive game will fully translate. 
Well, what's funny is my next question was going to be, what are your next three prospects, four through six, if you're a win now team looking to win right away? And I feel like Ivy, Murray, and Davis are all three pretty good in that respect. Yeah, honestly, probably. There isn't like, I mean, I guess probably the answer I should have given is Shane Sharp, like for the upside play. Yeah, I just I really haven't seen much of him, and nor has yeah. anybody else. It's just EYBL stuff. So maybe that's the the true home run swing. Uh, I'm just not super sold on him. So yeah, I guess I, honestly those are probably the same four, five, six. For yeah, that answer as well. I I was inclined for if my team is firmly in a reboot, I'm kind of inclined to kick the tires on some of these guys that like do everything well but shoot, in hopes that if they shoot, then they become a really special player. So somebody like a Jeremy Sohan, uh, somebody like a Dyson Daniels, I did get to watch some of the Ignite this year, and I really liked him. He just can't shoot. Like if if either of those guys become NBA average shooters, then I think you've got guys who can like really do it all. Um, so again, like I, I feel like I'm inclined here to pick for – high upside like guys where i'm like they could probably do every single thing well on an nba court today except one and but that one is very important if it comes along then there's real upside there and then my win now guys are absolutely ivy murray davis i think that's that's a slam dunk um how many of these draft uh prospects this year have all-star potential in like a best case situation Obviously not all of them will be all-stars, but like, who are the guys who you think in their top reasonable expected outcome that they could become all-stars? Bancaro, Smith, Holmgren, Ivy. Yeah. Those are the easy ones. There's yeah. I I don't know. You could, you can kind of go a a few of these guys. Like I would say Murray Davis could get there. Sohan and Daniels, if they had a jumper, yep, definitely. Yeah. Those are all-star caliber guys. Sharp has the upside, uh, and maybe that's the line, unless, like, Duran and Williams become, like, dominant as rim protectors and, right. and lob threats in the way that Gobert has. Not making a direct player comparison, but, like, that's kind of what you're aiming for as a rim protector. Griffin has the potential if he's healthy too. So I'll yeah. say that's like the 12. Yeah. That was the sleeper one that I had there. Like if he, if he is healthy and can stay healthy, there's an outside chance there. Um, and then, yeah, the top four of the easy ones, Daniels and Sohan, if they can shoot, then I like them. Um, Keegan Murray's just like, it's tough for me to get, has Tobias Harris even made an all-star team? I don't think he has. I yeah. don't believe so. So like if, if, if your best expected outcome is probably in that range, then like you just, you scream to me a guy who is a very, very good basketball player who makes a ton of money for a long time, but maybe never, maybe never quite gets there. Um, man, if Johnny Davis became Devin Booker, he'd probably be there. That'd right. be fun. That's, I'm probably way out of line with that <laughs> comparison. Would get yelled at by many people, but I love it though. I love it. Um, how many of these players have all defense potential? Uh, Sohan's the first one that comes to mind. Yes. Uh, Jabari Smith as well. Um, let's see, looking down the line. I mean, Chet, definitely, if he becomes yep. just like truly a dominant rim protector. Uh, Duran Williams, I think, could be on the yep. defensive end. 
That's probably about as far. Uh, Tari Eason, I'll say him too. Yeah, Tari Eason, I would put on there. Uh, I'd put Dyson Daniels on there potentially. Am I? That's com- true. I I truly have not watched much yeah, yeah. at all. So. Am I completely out of line for saying in a best case situation, maybe a guy like a Dalen Terry? He could get there. He's 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 very thin right now. But... It's a it, it's not a call that I love or anything, but uh, it's it's. That was a yeah. name where I looked at and I was like, could maybe. Yeah, um, there's no, there's no yeah. Herb Jones in that like back half of the first round, early right. second. That's just like defensive player of the year in his conference, multiple positions. Correct. Yeah, no show. obvious guy. Yeah. Um, the lottery after the top three that Vicini has number four, Jaden Ivey, five, Keegan Murray, six, Ben Matherin, seven, Dyson Daniels, eight, Usman Jang, who I've never once seen play. Uh, number nine, Johnny Davis, number 10, Shaden Sharp, who I've never once seen play. Uh, 11, AJ Griffin, 12, Sohan, 13, Duran, 14, uh, Jalen Williams, uh, Santa Clara's Jalen Williams. Uh, any guys here that you think are overvalued at their spot, undervalued at their spot, anything really, uh, pop off the page to you? I'm not a, like, this makes me sad. I loved his team in college, but I'm not a huge Ben Matherin guy. Uh, I, I know he's like basically vaulted up to where almost every mock has him fifth. And I think he's solid, really good shooter, hit some big shots for them, can shoot off movement, has vertical pop, which I think is rare for that, that combo of dunker plus 40% shooter with range and movement. But he got a little passive at times. I don't think he creates his own shot very well, like off the bounce. So he, he's a guy that I think has gotten a little overvalued to me in this range. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'd like him a lot more at like nine or 10, um, maybe even eight, but like, yeah, six does six, five feels pretty high. Uh, after that, uh, we got 15 Akbaji, 16 Malachi Branham, 17 Tari East and 18 Mark Williams, 19 Ty Ty Washington, 20 EJ Liddell. Um, I mean, anything exciting or uh, again, over undervalued in there? I really like Liddell kind of in the same way we talked about Wendell Moore. I think he's ready to help right away. They both have similar, like the shot got better last year, but is it for real question marks can, can probably guard multiple positions. So I, I like Liddell a lot. Um, I think Eason is, is a guy that is worth the swing because yeah, I think he could be like as good as Sohan defensively. It has the potential. He's so disruptive and he played in a really disruptive system at LSU. Um, and then the offensive potential is again, how, how much can you project? How good do you trust your own team's development? Um, so I, I like Eason, I guess, relative. And I, I love Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, but it's gotten out of control. Like he's, I, I was liking him as like, okay, he's a fringe first rounder. I would take him at 24 as the bucks. And now he's like going 16th and 17th and all these mocks. And it seems like he's out of their range, which bums me out. Yeah. I, I think, Agbaji is a guy that feels a little overvalued to me. A great college player. <laughs> I mean, no question what he did last year was very real, but like at the next level, other than be a very pure catch and shoot guy from three and other than being a defender who is pretty well switchable, I, I don't know like what else he does. Like he's not really a pull-up shooter type of guy. He's not a passer, uh, not really the sort of ball handler that I love. Um, so I just and think there's not like yeah. huge defensively. He's not quite no. Mikhail Bridges, like as size wise, even like 
no take out the instincts and stuff but even size wise he's not there so yeah i mean he's like kind of a plug him in roll very little upside i would say. I, I would love him if he made it to like a playoff team that you know wants another guy like if he was in like the mid-20s going to like the grizzlies or you know your bucks or any of those i'd be like wow absolute slam dunk but 15 feels high to me and malachi branham i also get a little concerned about the defense. I know he's so he young. Was, he was terrible defensively. Yeah, he is not a good defender at all. Um, so again, I I feel like he's up as high as he is because people are like projecting, oh, it could be like a three and D guy, but like he's not a he's just a three guy. Uh, I yeah, mean, like he was, he's got he, a good pull-up game. He's got like yeah, good the pull-up game, tools. I think, is like the projectable, like actually yes. puts the floor, put the ball on yes. the floor, creates for himself high release on his pull-up jumper. But yeah, like. He's young he, and he wasn't a super highly regarded recruit. So like right. taking this one year too, too much. He could be a bench scorer. I, I do think that undervalued maybe. I mean, when it comes to Ty Ty Washington, you do sit and think about these Kentucky guys who do get a lot better when they go to the pros. Um, it's a big enough sample size that I'm just kind of inclined to buy it at this point. And he's just such a high IQ player generally. Like he, he, didn't play well for stretches in there this year, but like, I don't know. I'm kind of just inclined to throw that out and take him closer to the end of the lottery, just on the flyer of like, I mean, shit, you look at Harrow, you look at Booker, you look at Keldon Johnson, you look at uh Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Maxey, like, all, like all literally every single guy, when they leave Kentucky and go to the pros, they are instantly an impact player. So I don't yeah, know. he's not I, like I feel quite the shooter that quickly is not quite the speedster that Maxi is, but yeah, no. like he's just he's a good basketball player who struggled with an injury that I think sapped his effectiveness yeah. down the stretch. Uh, and I mean, that's the same thing with like Johnny Davis. I think context on some of these guys of like if they're playing through an ankle or something and they lose explosiveness, let's let's make sure yeah. to factor that into the evaluation. 21, Blake Wesley, 22, Dale and Terry, 23, Jaden Hardy, 24, Jake LaRavia, 25, Walker Kessler, 26, Marjan Beauchamp, 27, Bryce McGowans, 28, Nikola Jovich, no clue how to say the last name, but I'm going to go with that, 29, Kennedy Chandler, 30, Andrew Nemhard. that's the end of the first round that Vassini has, any names pop off the page there? I'm not, like, I, I saw Blake Wesley live a few times and was impressed with him as like, oh, he's a better freshman than I thought but I didn't think he would be a one and done guy. I, I, I think sure. maybe the, the momentum got a little out of control there. He was really inefficient um, for, for Notre Dame. They had shooting around him. So I don't think the spacing was that bad, uh, but he just, he couldn't really finish. It wasn't as much of a pull-up shooter as say Branham was. I'm not huge there. Uh, I probably saw Dalen Terry and maybe his best game in college was the home win over UCLA it, 10 points, nine rebounds, seven assists. Uh, one turnover hit a couple threes that was like the dream of what he could be but he's like you're not a three and d guy if you're afraid to shoot the ball and you have the form that he is and yeah he could maybe get there but like you have to overhaul his form like it's just not good enough to project it to nba range at all Uh, but the passing instincts are there the length the defense that's all solid so i guess he's probably not overvalued but i just think people are hunting for three and d and he's he's not a shooter he's not yeah, I, I do tend to like these guys, uh, whether it's wise or not, because they don't always come to fruition. But these guys were like everything but shooting. I like well enough. Like if I, if I think you've got good positional size, you're a, you know, a good passer for your position. You're, you know, a good worker, you're a good defender. You're all the things 
but like the shots not there, then I don't know. I, especially when it comes down to like the twenties where a lot of these guys probably aren't going to be on rosters anyway, realistically, you take him, you put him in the G league. You hope the shot comes around and you, you know, you work from there. Um, I, I, the Laravia stuff is very interesting to me. The climb of Laravia. I mean, he, he, uh, am I crazy for, for being a skeptic here? He's obviously a smart, a very smart player. He's a good passer for size. He's got all this stuff, but like, maybe it's just like the optics of, he looks like a big, like white dude at the YMCA. <laughs> I think the optics definitely hurts him. And it's just like weird that, Oh, Wake Forest is going to have two guys drafted and they have a coach. I really like, and they didn't make the tournament in a down yeah, ACC. Like thing. what happened? I, I don't know. He, yeah. He's a guy that I've seen called repeatedly by scouts, people I respect better in the pros than he was in college uh, with, with space and stuff. And maybe that's true. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a shrug at Laravia. I'd, I'd like him a lot more at like the very end of the first beginning of the second than at 24. That feels a lot. Uh, Bryce McGowan's is another guy that I feel like I'd like a little more like in the thirties um, as, as sort of that bench burner guy. Um, and then the last guy I want to bring up here is Kennedy Chandler. I, I'm scared. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not yeah. A fan. I'm, I'm scared. Of, I would stay away. Um, just who like, the, who are the six foot guards that are nobody. successful right now? <laughs> nobody like, do, unless you think he's Trey young, then like, I don't know what is going like Sharif Cooper last year. Now, obviously Chandler's a better shooter than Cooper. And that does make a big difference and a better defender than Cooper. And that makes a difference. But like, is he going to be a plus defender at the NBA level at his size? Like, I don't think so. No. So then, and so then you take that away. And Tennessee and then, took the ball out of his hands yeah. a decent amount to give it to Zakai Ziegler, a guy who's like not a top 200 recruit. Like if Chandler yeah. was Trey Young, they yeah. would have never taken the ball out of his hands. And Sharif Cooper is one of the best passers I've seen in the last few years of college and one of the best ball handlers I've seen in the last few years of college. So like, there's some like very obvious elite skills that he has. And he slipped down into like the late 40s. That Chandler to me seems like the sort of dude where if you're looking for a guy who has pedigree who might fall a lot on draft night, it does kind of feel that way. I mean, maybe maybe a team will convince themselves that he can shoot and then and then that's fine. But like the size really concerns me. Yeah, I'm fine with him if you're second round backup point guard, but mid first, I don't know that he can ever be a starter. Even, even league, late, so. even like guaranteed yeah. money, multi year late first, I I, I struggle with that. Um. Do our uh, <laughs> what noise was that? Who are second round guys uh, you think that are starter quality potential players in the NBA? Guys you think could have the upside of one day being starters as second rounders? So Ryan Rollins, I talked about a little bit already. Yep. I, I love him. I think he's kind of the didn't play good enough competition, getting a little bit knocked for that, but as a first step, I think the shot will eventually be there. So I like him. Uh, I think Christian Coloco is kind of like Mark Williams light mm, where sure big time uh, rim protector going to play that same role offensively. Just the rim runner dunker kind of guy. Sam uh, has him he, at 46. That'd be really good value. I feel like. And he switched some in college and did it pretty well. Like I, I was at the UCLA game where they played him and Umar Ballo together because they're like Coloco can switch one through four yeah. and we'll leave Ballo at the rim blocking shots. And he did it. 
pretty well against Johnny Juzang and Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez. So like, I kind of buy Coloco. I just, I, I know there's not much offensive upside, uh, but I would take, I'd probably prefer Coloco at 45 than Williams at 15. Like if I, if I, it's that much disparity in where I have to get the guy. Um, yeah. And then this hurts me. And I, I know you'll, you'll probably laugh as I say it, but Jalen Williams from Arkansas will be a useful pro. As much as I hate the flopping, I think he'll kind of get that coached out of him a little bit uh, where they're, they're going to force him to play with more verticality in the pros. And he's a nice offensive player. He's smart, moves the ball. Yeah. I think there's a chance he shoots a little bit. Uh, he's positionally like very sound defensively too. So begrudgingly, I, I think he would be a, a pretty solid pro. I do and feel like other- an annoying pro, annoying defenders in college do tend to uh, at least – stick around a little bit i definitely have athleticism concerns with him but like yeah i mean i don't think he's like starter quality but i think he could stick around yep and then the two wings that i like older but i think could stick as like the three and d guys that we're kind of hunting for and again maybe you like these more than Agbaji at 12th or 15th or whatever uh vince williams from vcu and then Keon ellis from alabama i think both guys hey, look look what i mean Keon ellis is not herb jones I'm not saying that, but yeah, coming out of that NATO system where it is very uh, emphasized on shot selection, uh, either three or the rim and the defense, I think is relatively sound principle wise. I think there's a chance Ellis is just like a, a useful wing for 10 or 12 years. Yeah. I like Vince Williams. Um, maybe, maybe it's just the Sam Bassini talking, but you know, seeing Max Christie here at 31 on his mock, I think would be pretty good value at the, at the start of the second, um, you know, he's not a guy I love, but like, I, I would expect him to be kind of like a late first guy, not a 31 guy. Same maybe for Brown, uh, Christian Brown, uh, another guy who like just feels like the sort of swagger annoying uh, does everything pretty well guy. Like, I, I like betting on dudes like that. Do you guys, do you guys have any of those at Duke? <laughs> a couple. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, uh, I really love the big upside guys in the second round. Like this is kind of why I always was surprised that nobody even took a flyer on Trayvon Duvall. I mean, clearly like stuff, clearly there's like other stuff at play. I, I like, I don't know stuff above my pay grade, obviously, but like the Josh Minots, the Peyton Watsons, the JD Davison's, Caleb Houston. Houston, less than those three, honestly. Really? How come? I, I, Houston is, is, is better today. I, I just think the upside of the other guys feels higher to me. Like the, like Peyton Watson and J.D. Davidson, they have those like moments. Like I do kind of look for those guys who have those moments where you're like, oh, like shit, like this could this could be a thing. Like this could work. And Davison, obviously, <laughs> it, was, it was sporadic, to put it nicely. And Peyton Watson, you know, obviously also, uh, you know, didn't get a lot of PT. But, you know, if you're, if you're just drafting in the, in the 40s or whatever, like would I rather have a guy that might completely miss, but at least I get, you know, the rights to him, you know, for a year or two? Or would I rather have like Isaiah Mobley like I like I, to me that's a no-brainer and I like Isaiah Mobley like okay enough I, like I don't really know that he's a pro but like there's some stuff there but like the Davisons and the Watsons I, I'd rather just swing the bat really hard and and hope that it pops because if it does then I think those are the guys that have like starter upside if everything really goes well yeah and then, it's a little team yeah. context there too totally like- 
if if you really like you're a contending team, you're like, I think we can get a guy that plays 11 minutes for us, and you think yes. Isaiah Mobley can do that, then go for that. But man, you sh- you should be taking swings if you're a team that's rebuilding. But what's funny is I I kind of feel like more than even that, I, if I'm a contender and I don't need a roster spot like right now, then the Peyton Watsons and the JD Davisons are exactly who I want there. You know what I mean? Because you trust the development system. Like if if Peyton Watson goes to the Kings, he's fucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, there are certain guys where like if they just end up in those really dire scenarios, then I do not like their outcome. That's but why like, draft yeah. rankings should be done after the draft. Correct. Obviously. Context matters. <laughs> um, is there anybody undrafted, like any projected undrafted guys that you would like to bet on? sticking around in the NBA one way or another. That's a very broad question, obviously, because there's a gajillion people, but yeah, I mean like just Sam's big board has David Roddy and Keon Ellis outside the top 60. I think those guys are at least interesting enough. He has uh, them both to... in the draft itself, to be fair, okay. I believe. Yeah. Um, I would not mind taking a swing at Jamari Bouye as my backup point guard. Yeah. Bet. I mean, it seems like he's going to go undrafted, but he's got real bounce. And I think he's smart. He had to do a lot of creation for that team that he wouldn't have to do in the pros. I think he would benefit from NBA level spacing. They were playing two bigs pretty consistently at San Francisco to kind of go high, low, wouldn't have to deal with that as much. So I I like Bouye a decent amount. And then I don't know. I I won't, I won't go too many because like maybe two of these guys hit, so I don't need to have seven of them. (laughs) No, no, no. I at any shot at all at Kofi whatever yeah i know i mean like we're obviously we're obviously like you know uh just looking for guys who can play like eight to ten minutes a game in the nba if you're looking at undrafted guys but like part of me feels like he could come in and provide fouls and provide a big body and and rob doster had a clip on twitter of like there will be a role for him he's big enough he's powerful enough that and doggone it people like him there you go yeah sure um colin gillespie i i can't i can't see it i just i i liked sam's point that you know ryan archidiakonow has stuck around in the nba some and sam was like i kind of like gillespie more than i liked arch going into the nba Gillespie's I think that's a little interesting point. than i thought he was with shoes six three like i thought he was yeah. going to be like six foot so I'll, you know, maybe. Yeah. Um, anyway, those are the only guys that I really thought about. Um, any other draft uh, related points that you want to make? We obviously covered a lot of ground there. I don't think so. I think we hit pretty much everything I was uh, planning on saying. So, yeah. Uh, I wanted I wanted to touch on something we talked about on on Twitter. This is a surprise. The uh, the Jason Tatum versus Luka Doncic. Uh, <laughs> discussion that we had where yeah, I, had, I i still think this is a landslide <laughs> <laughs> i it, it was very interesting over the course of the playoffs i feel like because we, we that was like in the first round of the playoffs where we had that back and forth right for the, for context i tweeted something along the lines of if they are doing a complete franchise redraft in the nba and everybody is drafting uh, starting from scratch I don't remember how many players I had above Tatum. It would have been like one or two, but you, you I said, you said he wouldn't fall past two. He wouldn't fall past said. two. Great. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Which I and, just abjectly disagree with. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked that in the playoffs that then ensued, though, we saw some of the good and bad of both of those players. I mean, clearly they're both uh, going to be <laughs> the guys in that very, very high tier of discussion for the foreseeable future. Um, Tatum, obviously not looking great in the finals goes without saying uh Doncic the the defense is still just you know not very good um i, yeah, I don't i just, I just yeah. think Doncic's offense is is better on another plane yeah than, I, than I i i don't disagree with that at all and I, I think that's yeah. the harder skill to find is like truly elite yeah. level creator center of gravity offense and he was playing with slightly worse players around him. And I think you can, he's definitely playing with worse players. That's definitely true. Um, and to be clear, we haven't, I don't think we said it, but like Giannis is the obvious number one. Well, yeah, that's, that's, in that redraft. <laughs> and then, so now we're kind of like, not, I, even, I not even, not even Duke Homer me could even approach yeah. that. I mean, like Giannis is on a trajectory that is absolutely bananas. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say Tatum would maybe go three. I don't know if it's probable or not. If, if somebody would, chase after somebody like a John ja Morant or something or a Zion if healthy, like I, somebody might, yeah, I, I would I, say he's yeah. probably third. I just think like one and two are like in stone to me. Well, and then one is obviously much higher than two regardless. Presumably yeah. you would, you would say yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Especially as a Bucks guy. Yeah. No, that's and uh, uh, when you pushed back, I knew I when I tweeted it that Luca was the guy I would get pushed back on. I I knew it was fair. I think I I just and and you called me out on it a little bit there. I don't even think it was. I think you would you. I think you thought that I said it because Tatum had just played really well, or was it because Doncic had just had a game where like he was really struggling to stay on the floor defensively? I don't remember. Um, Here's yeah, my ultimate remember. response to all this. <laughs> I have learned since then that the account at Duke better sometimes tweets things that pander <laughs> a little to a Duke fan base. And I need to not take them as seriously as, as I would expect from the handle seconds to madness. That's maybe that's a little fair. more impartial. <laughs> that That's fair. Although I will say that on the degree of pandering, my account is the least pandering of the panderers. Like that, I I get that you just think Luca is way way better than Tatum, and I I that's fine. I I think it's a little closer, and I think there was a bit of pandering, obviously, in there. I'm not going to deny that, but I do think that generally speaking, my stuff is going to be more objective than most of the Duke accounts that you are going to see tweeting at you. That is fair, and I still think it's going to be very subject like not objective so i i will that's the, will the, well, i'm gonna make yeah i'm gonna make responses to duke that are very intermittent and probably will just troll you will be my guess that's that's completely <laughs> fair it did it did make me want to raise the question if you're launching if we're doing the franchise draft out of only duke players what your like top three or four players would be like presumably tatum number one zion two Tariq Whitehead, three. No. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, if we're doing a top five, including him might not be completely insane. Yeah, I, Paolo's probably three. Uh, but, yeah, I, I who, who's the other candidates up there? Grayson I mean, Allen is, is last, probably. <laughs> I mean, Ingram, Ingram is still under 30, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure. Yep. 
Uh, in terms of really good guys, uh, <laughs> um, who just there's a there's another all star that I'm completely. How old do you saying. think Brandon Ingram is? Uh, he was in the. I think he was 19 in 2016. Which no, I want in, your. I wanted your gut reaction. No, I, you, I'm gonna say 26. Okay, he hasn't turned 25 yet. But like wow. the fact that we were like, he, he's probably not 30, right? And they're like, oh wow, he's not. Well, even then 25. yeah, then he's. Then I, I think you could make an argument for him at number two potentially if you don't believe that Zion's health will come around. Yep. Um, how <laughs> would Kyrie Irving be on the list at all? Like at what at what point do you start your franchise with Kyrie over X other Duke player? Like I think that's the most interesting one, and it's obviously an interesting question for the Nets right now as well. Yeah, which they seem there's there's the public impasse that they're at, but I don't know. I'm I'm probably too biased against all of what Kyrie represents at this point to to fairly answer this. Would you rather have uh, Kyrie or RJ Barrett? Kyrie. Interesting. Would you rather have uh, Kyrie or Gary Trent Jr.? Kyrie. Would you rather have, I don't know that there's another really good one in there <laughs> that's active anyway. Yeah. I'd, go, so I'd like, probably go Ingram over Kyrie, but that might be, that might be too crazy. I mean, Kyrie like I don't has know, shown. With age, with age considerations, I don't think that's crazy because Kyrie is definitely, if not 30, then like 29. But you're just like can Ingram ever get to Kyrie? Like Kyrie's at a level that very few players on the planet will ever get to. And I, I feel like I'm probably underselling that. No, uh, totally. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, the, the off court stuff can be uh, difficult to uh, navigate. Would you rather have Kyrie or Zion? Uh, I'll gamble on Zion. Cause he's, cause he's more fun. <laughs> I don't there are very few players in NBA recent history that are more fun when they are on than Kyrie Irving that's true but, but Zion is probably up there where where would you want Kyrie playing next year uh he can he can retire I'm fine with that. <laughs> I think for maximum comedy when the Western I, Conference that's my answer when I when I saw that they were rumoring to try to get him to the Lakers I screamed audibly in my apartment I think the comedy of the Bron Kyrie reunion uh it is is unfathomable <laughs> I know, i'm like but he's also clearly better than russell westbrook at this point i think you have to but like yes. with the off-court stuff is also like in the history of him and braun is also crazy and does braun want two injury history guys as his two and three with ad and Kyrie when he's only realistically got like what a year or two left like yeah, I, he's, he's a robot. He's got 10 years left. That guy's never no, getting worse. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I struggle with that. Yeah. So I, I, and plus I living in LA, I would go and see games to see Braun and Kyrie together. That would be a lot of fun yep. right away. It'd be phenomenal. Um, anyway. All right. I've kept you long enough, Jim, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, at 3MW underscore CBB is the three-man weave Twitter handle. Pretty much all our content gets routed through there, whether it's a podcast, a guest appearance, writing, uh, shows. Once the season starts, we've got our best bets shows that'll, that'll be daily in college basketball. 
Um, so that's probably the main hub. Uh, my handle is at second chance points to MD chance points. I know it's absurd, but I'm sticking with it. I'm digging my heels in. That's going to be my handle forever. Uh, and that. that is, that's where you get more of my like personal thoughts. The weave one is more of like a, not quite a content aggregator, but uh, my, my, my musings are on second chance points. I love that uh, one of the uh, Heim sisters from the band Heim uh, has kept her handle of Jizzy McGuire over the years. Didn't know that. Love that. Met the Heim sisters after a conference or a concert. After wow. A concert in St. Louis. They were awesome. So to you got to meet the them. That's sisters. great. I got to, they were very, very close uh, to me and some friends and they were talking to the group. I wanted to, if it wasn't COVID times, I would have gotten a picture, but yeah, uh, don't ask if they remember me because they will not. <laughs> hey, my buddy, Jim uh, <laughs> met you in St. Louis. Um, yeah, uh, that's great guys. Go check out uh, Jim's stuff. He is, uh, he and Kai and Matt over at three man. We've definitely making my favorite uh, college basketball content out there really toes the line nicely between lively and informative uh while also not being just completely uh you know that the same espn talking points that you hear constantly they talk about mid-major stuff they talk about they get into the weeds a little bit which i love um and uh you will at some point uh next month presumably hear me on the three-man weave podcast as the uh host of their college basketball jeopardy episode that's right. So can't yeah. wait for that one. That one's that one's <laughs> always one of the the ones we look forward to most annually. We've only done it once with you as well, the moderator, but well, and uh, Jim I hope is stoked because he won last tradition. time. Yeah, <laughs> Jim smoked the competition, if I recall, last time. And it was the day after the Bucks had won the title, so I was working off a hangover. I'm going to be fresh and spry this time. I'm going to blow those guys away. I'm going to I'm going to leak Matt the categories just so <laughs> like you know I got to I got to give my man a chance. A fair Come handicap. On. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Right. Give him a few strokes ahead. You know, (laughs) Um, I am Duke better on Twitter. You can find me there. Duke by the numbers is the podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple podcasts. Go leave a review. Uh, I understand that that does well for the old uh, podcast. Uh, I have some episode ideas for Duke by the numbers coming up, including I I did talk to Ryan, my buddy from the Duke nation about doing a a power hour episode. (laughs) where we have uh, heated Duke debates over time as we get incredibly drunk. So (laughs) that might be a very interesting episode. I don't know how by the numbers that would be, but uh, it would be a pretty enjoyable listen, I would imagine. Um, So we'll see. He was was balking at the idea of doing a full power hour. So tweet at the Duke Nation and tell him, why why are you wimping out, man? Um, No, he's in, he's in. He's from Minnesota, he's gotta be in. So, yeah, I think that's everything here. Um, the Beer Travel Guide on TikTok. How about that? I, my, my website, the Beer Travel Guide, has a TikTok account that's a lot of fun. I was just in Italy. I recorded some beer-themed TikToks while in Italy. How fun is that? So go, uh, so go check that out. Uh, Jim, as always, an absolute pleasure. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for staying so long. I know I, I like to spring some surprise questions. I want to keep you on your toes. That's right. I, I try to deal with it as best I can. <laughs> no, you, you did great. You did great. So for Jim and for myself, Russell, this has been Duke by the Numbers. Thank you very much. And as always, go to hell, Carolina. What are we talking about here?